You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series with Pastor Daniel Williams called Joy, A Battle of the Mind, a study through the book of Philippians. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Tonight we're going to be finishing our series in the series called Joy, the Battle of the Mind. As we study through Philippians 4, man, I pray this series has been a blessing for you. We were talking about in prayer how it's been convicting, but yet conviction is a good thing because conviction leads to repentance. Repentance leads to godly fruit, and this needs to be a fruitful study for us, how we engage in the spiritual realm of our mind. Uh, This is important. This is hard for us at times, but it's very fruitful. And that's what Paul wants for your life and for my life. He wants you to bear fruit. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you abide in him, you'll bear some fruit. And fruit of the spirit is joy. And so he's giving you these hard truths or even convicting truths so that you would actually claim them, live by them, and then you would bear fruit and the effect would be joy. Paul wants us to realize that the way that we think our attitudes affects our lives. And he's not the only one. If you go to the Apostle John, the John uh, is the Apostle of Love. In 1 John 5, 4 and 5, he says this. Because we talked a little bit about what he said last week as we talked about being a spiritual mind and comparing it to the world. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that, we, that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Did you know that it is your faith, your trust in Jesus, in God himself, that gives you the great victory? And this is a choice that you have to decide. We have to trust in God's word, in his truth, over Satan's lies. We have to uh, live according to God's word by faith in having victory, not the ways of the world that rebels so easily against God. And we have to submit to God's ways that wage war even against our own flesh. We're learning what spiritual warfare is through the battle of our mind. And when we win and have faith, it produces fruit, which is joy. Our faith in God helps us to draw near to God, trust his word, and it brings forth fruit in our lives. And you know what? This pleases God because God wants the best thing for you. Hebrews 11, chapter six, uh, chapter 11, verse six says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, speaking of God, who would ever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You'll be rewarded as you seek the Lord in this way, as you trust and overcome by your faith. It pleases God to trust him because he wants to bear fruit in your life like Galatians 5, 22 and 23 talk about. And Paul is reminding us once again that this fruit is joy. Joy, this internal great satisfaction that we could have in the Lord despite our circumstances, despite people, despite what's going on or what possessions you may own, Jesus satisfies and his ways bring forth life. Now, I mentioned this book last week, but I'm gonna mention it again just because it's that good. I Declare War, Four Keys to Winning the Battle with Yourself by Levi Lusco. He says this, the real bulk of our lives is made of unglamorous, unsexy, unspectacular opportunities to keep our eyes on Jesus. That's what God has given us, an opportunity to trust, to please, to just do the mundane. He says public victory comes from private discipline. We know that because Jesus said the things done in the secret will be rewarded openly. And he goes, little by little, we make our choices and then our choices make us. 
What are you going to choose? Paul wants you to rejoice. Rejoicing is a choice in what we think about and what we focus on matters in our life. Or you can say our attitude affects our outcome. What's your attitude? And so Paul's given us some attitudes to think about, some mindsets, some keys to having joy in our life for every chapter. Chapter one was the single mind, living for God's glory for the gospel. When you have a, a, a will to please God in his, in his uh, pleasure, his joy, his will, his gospel, despite the circumstances, he can get glory in it. And so you find joy in the situation. But chapter two says you need to have a submissive mind. You not only need to submit to Christ and his plan and purpose for you, but also play that out and love other people. And when you submit and you're in relationships trying to serve others, you'll actually produce joy because you're not fighting for your own will. You're now serving and obeying and it's better to give than to receive, the Lord says. So have the mind of Christ, Paul would say, Philippians 2.5. But then chapter three, we have that verse in 21. He says, man, be a citizen of heaven. Have a spiritual mind. Live this earthly life, our worldly life, with the reality of heaven and the hope of heaven, and that will affect your outcome of having some joy. You won't live for money or status or fame or these things that we can get wrapped up in the world system, but we'll actually live for Christ and his kingdom, and when we live for his kingdom, we'll bear much fruit. Now, in chapter four, where we're at tonight, Paul is emphasizing the results of these mindsets, the benefits when you apply these things to your life, and he says you will have a secure mind, a secure mind. The secure mind is the result of focusing on the Lord and choosing to trust him. Isaiah, 50, or Isaiah 25, 3 says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When you trust in God, when you fix your mind on Christ, when you have a single mind, a, a submissive mind, a spiritual mind, the reward is having a secure mind, a stable mind. Remember, James says a double-minded man is just wavering. He's just back and forth. But you can be so focused on God, you can be secure in who he is, and that is the result of engaging in the spiritual warfare. Now, the book that we've been reading, I think we may only have like two or three copies left in the back. If you don't have a book, you can grab one on your way out. But Warren Wiersbe says, we must, be, uh, we must practice Philippians 1, 2, and 3 if we are going to experience the secure mind of Philippians chapter 4. You can't just go to this one verse and then say, okay, now I'm going to get peace. No, because you need to go and understand what it looks like to go to God and to stand firm in the promises he's already spoken of or talked about in the last three chapters. And so I would give this chapter, verse 1, the theme verse. It's probably not even the popular verse. In this chapter, there's 6, 7, 8. There's so many good verses. And this 19 is another one. Oh, 13? We're all going to cover them all. It's going to be amazing. But verse 1, I think, gives us sort of the key for us in what I think the theme chapter is. It says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love, remember Paul is writing to Christians, people he loves for, longs for, his joy and his crown, he says, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Standing firm, standing fast. Paul wants us just to remain in Christ. That is the theme of chapter four, to have a secure mind because Paul loves these saints and he loves the church and he wants to give them one last exhortation. As we close the book, the one last exhortation is stand firm in the Lord. Focus on him, worship him, live for him. And chapter four describes the spiritual resources every believer has in Christ. 
how we can stand firm in God. In verses one through nine, how God gives us peace. The fruit of having a mind that's fixed on Christ is you will have a mind of peace because there is peace in Jesus. You can stand firm in him. In verses 10 through 13, Paul says, you can have the spiritual resource of God's power. The power of God could be upon your life as you claim the promises of God, as you stand firm in Jesus, because there is great power in the name of Jesus and the person of Jesus. And then lastly, he says, in verse 14 through 23, God's provision. We need to stand firm in God's provision that he will provide and provide for all of our needs because there is provision in Jesus Christ. So Paul wants us to look to Jesus to have a secure mind to experience God's joy. Sounds pretty good, right? Let's dig into it. Verses one through nine. The first section, God's peace. This is probably the half of the message, just the bulk of this chapter. Uh, So we'll cover a little bit more talking about this idea. Um, But it is significant that we understand what is going on in the text. So let's read one through nine and cover how we could stand firm in God's peace and have that peace of God in our own lives. Therefore, my beloved brothers, verse one we've already read, whom I have, uh, long and uh, who I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now I entreat Euodiah and, in, and entreat Sintiki. If you want to pronounce them another way, you go ahead. They're two godly ladies, and I don't want to get it wrong. To agree in the Lord. They were having some disputes. There was two ladies. Remember, Paul would plant the church in Philippi, not in the... Um, synagogue, but there would be ladies by the river. These were probably believers that got saved or knew, uh, uh, got saved or knew the church, and now they were having this argument. He says, listen, I entreat you ladies to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, uh, also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These were believers that were having a hard time. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean you're gonna not have conflict with other believers. It happens, and you need to come upon agreement and have community surround you in that to work these things through. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the way that we behave from one another is a witness to the world. And so get your act together, live for Christ in your relationships. The Lord is at hand, he says. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Bring it to God in prayer and the peace of, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which is greater than even your mind, okay, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is commendable, uh, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. Don't you want some peace in your life? especially not peace you try to manipulate or try to control yourself, but peace from God, the peace of God. God of peace can be with us as we trust in him. And so the first thing Paul wants us to do is he says in verse one, this idea of standing firm. 
Hopefully it says stand firm with a whole bunch of references. I want to give you a biblical picture of what this actually means because it's significant and important as we lead this series and lead this book to understand he's saying don't just leave this joyful state or spiritual warfare back behind you. It's going to continually be with you. You need to stand firm in God. The other word or some translations say stand, stand fast. Hold still. He says the result of doing this will produce peace. This word has the idea of persevering or to persist in. To persist in or persevere. To keep one standing or to remain in the Lord. Scripture uses this word in talking about how we are to stand firm in trusting God. In believing in God. To act and to move on our behalf for victory. And we see a lot of examples of this and commands for us not to fear, but to trust God and to stand firm on who God is in the Old Testament. Remember, those things were written for our learning so that we may have hope and encouragement. And so we look to the Old Testament to see how God has moved in his people to see his character. One of the first people of God, the Israelites, the Jewish nation, was freed from Egypt in Exodus chapter 14, and God was sending them to the promised land where people were going to fight, and they were just not ready and not prepared. They had been slaves for over 400 years. They'd been freed, and they're freaking out. They don't know what to do or how to do it, and Moses gets the word from the Lord to encourage the people. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, he says this, Moses said to the people, fear not, which is one of the most greatest commands in the Bible. It's repeated over and over and over again. Fear not, stand firm, stand fast, and see the salvation of the Lord, which will work for you. We need to be reminded as we stand fast that we're standing fast or firm in the Lord, and he will fight our battles. Over and over again in Judges and Kings, God will remind them, even in Joshua when he goes into the promised land, fear not, I will be with you, fear not, and God reminds them of his character. Uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17, there was a king that was telling the people again as there was opposition. He says, stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. The Lord will be with you. One of the reasons why we could stand fast or stand firm is because we know God will not forsake us. He will always be with us. This should give us peace. This should give us confidence. And this is a big idea in Scripture of how we fight. We fight in the Lord, meaning his presence will guard us. His character will guard us. And what he says will happen. You see, we have to not only stand firm in who he is, but persevere not only in God's presence, but stand firm in what he says and how he says it. Uh, a couple of New Testament scriptures for you in God's word and standing fast in that. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, it says, Stand firm and hold to, tra to the traditions that you were taught, or the doctrines. We're to stand firm in what the scripture says. It will give us peace, a life of peace, when we stand firm on the promises of God. Because the word of God reveals the will of God and who God is, so it gives us peace. This is why Peter said at the end of his letter in 1 Peter 5.12, I have written briefly to you. Peter could have wrote over and over and over again, but he only gave a couple of chapters to the church. He said, exhorting and declaring this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Having a foundation that is from the Lord, solid doctrine, helps us to stand firm. And the Bible exhorts us and reminds us to do this because God understands we're finite and this is hard for us to do. We want to fight our own battles. We want to give our own minds, our own expectations and find a way to have peace because we get scared. But he says we're to stand firm and it takes work. It's hard. 
Paul would write the church in Galatia. Galatians chapter five, verse one, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. He knew that the church could be sideswiped by false doctrine, false teaching. Remember he talks in verse chapter three, you dogs, you evildoers, you Judaizers. He's telling us to stand firm in doctrine. Or in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong. We need reminders not to give up. And this is what Paul is doing is is concluding this book of a mindset of warfare because oftentimes we just get weary. But it's sometimes the simplest things that get the best benefits for our lives that are really hard, aren't they? I was reminded of this as we had Thanksgiving this last Thursday. It was glorious. We had a turkey and a ham. Hallelujah. It was amazing, okay? We all eat. It was all a blessing, but one of the benefits uh, that we were able to do is enjoy the weather in the patio in the back porch, uh, in the back patio of our house, but in order for it to be ready, I had to power wash it, pressure wash it, and the ceiling, the floor was easy. It was just, but there was a ceiling, and I'm going like this, like it's a huge patio, and the pressure washer works well, but it only goes like inch by inch, and all of a sudden, my shoulders and my biceps are just shaking because I'm like, I'm out here for like four hours just doing this position, you know, and I'm seeing like literally filth to white. All I have to do is hold fast and just go inch by inch, inch by, and even though there's great benefit to that, it was so stinking hard. That's like the spiritual life. You know you can do the right things and you physically even see the benefit of prayer, of reading the word, of being in scripture, of giving, of having these mindsets and you're seeing the fruit in your life and it's amazing and it's so stinking hard to hold on and you have to hold fast or stand fast and trust that the Lord knows what he's doing. The prophet Isaiah would speak about this in Isaiah 46, 8. He would say, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to your mind, you transgressors. Are you sinners? You blow it. You're imperfect. You got to recall back the truth and stand firm on it because we as sinners see the results. We even know what to do, but we need to be reminded not to give up and to engage in spiritual warfare continually, not just in a series, not just in a section, but it's just, it's continual. Like the live devotions on Friday, I was teaching them, you need to fight with the right weapons from John 18. And it was sort of a bummer thing. I was like, should I teach on this? I was like, yeah, because everyone's relaxed. It's a holiday weekend. You're still in spiritual warfare. Isn't it those times when you're not on guard that the enemy comes and takes you out? And sometimes we forget about that. We're, we're doing our own thing and we're not really re- realizing this and, oh, and that was so good and whatever, and then we forget. Like we did a whole, almost a year of revelation and prophecy and how the Lord's coming. And we're just like, Oh, yeah, yeah, in 2029, we're going to do this, this, and this. Did we not just study that the Lord can come at any moment, that, that we should be on guard and live according to these truths? The Bible says you're a transgressor, you're a sinner, you're going to forget. Remind yourselves, and that's what he's doing here. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. It's, Ephesians 6 is probably one of the most in-depth teachings. I have this on the website. I've taught through this passage before when we got went through Ephesians But it's about spiritual warfare, and it says, finally, be strong in the Lord. So this idea is common in Scripture. And in the strength of his might, 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, meaning with everything you got, to stand firm. So Paul wants us standing firm. Isn't that just encouraging? Just keep on doing the right thing even when it's hard. But we do it in the Lord with our thoughts and our actions to obtain joy. Practically, this means playing it out in your real life, applying the gospel continually to your life and the relationships that you have. Now, let me remind you in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he would say this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or in absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, side by side for the faith of the gospel. And this is why in verses two and three, he gives these examples of these two ladies and tells them to agree in the Lord. Start applying the gospel right now. There's a conflict. Agree in the Lord because you want to be a witness to the world for the gospel. So choose to rejoice and allow this to be an opportunity for you to engage in spiritual warfare by forgiving, by loving, by be submissing, by thinking spiritually, by having a spiritual mind and a single mind, a submissive mind. So in verse four and five, he says, then rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone for the Lord is at hand. Rather than being controlled by your worry, being control, be controlled by the Lord and take your anxiety to him in prayer. How will you overcome this relationship, this walking worthy, this following after these mindsets? You pray because you are gonna be anxious. You are gonna worry. You are not gonna have the capacity within yourself to overcome. We overcome by faith in God. So we have to go to God and ask for help and to stand firm in him to overcome and to apply the gospel to our lives. So he says in verse six, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. This word anxious or worry has the idea of being pulled apart in different ways. Or it's where you get, we get our English word to be strangled. It chokes us out. When we're pulled apart in different directions, not standing firm in God, especially directions that are from God, it strangles our life and it strangles us to the fruit of the Spirit. Because now we're relying on our own flesh and our own efforts, not standing firm in God, but we're going this way and that way and we're trying to rely on ourselves. But in prayer, we submit our will to God and get strength from Him. It's interesting because stress can cause illness in your life. It can cause loss of appetite ulcers, headaches, all sorts of physical pain by the stress and worry and anxiety that we have as finite people that cannot control and cannot fix a situation. But here's the reality. When we stray away from the gospel and God, that's what you find. Stress, pain, anxiety, and worry. Warren Wiersbe said, worry is the greatest thief of joy. So Paul is coming to a climax of this book and saying, so don't worry. 
Don't think about your own strength. Go to God in his strength. Stand fast or firm in the Lord and pray. Paul tells us to pray and stand firm in God's direction and his will for your life so you won't be strangled, so you'll have some joy, so you can receive the gifts of God. He says in everything by prayer, prayer is simply talking and listening to God. You're adoring him, worshiping him, spending time with him, communing with him. So by spending time with God, listening to him, his word, praying according to his word, talking with him, and supplication. Supplication has the idea of sharing your needs and problems to God. Peter says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. So we, we talk and listen to God, but then we bring this stuff to God in supplication saying, God, I, I'm worried about this and I'm stressed about that and I can't control this. With thanksgiving, meaning giving appreciation for God's will in your life. So as you bring those needs to God, you're submitting to his will and you're saying, God, but I thank you that you're in control of this. And if you want to do this, this, or this, I believe that that's the best plan for me. I'm going to give you thanks despite it. Let your request, Paul says, be known to God. So in simple, take your anxiety, your worry, your stress to God. Trust him in prayer. And this is why Paul says in verse 8 and 9, this is why thinking right and living right matter in your life. Because you'll be able to withstand uh, the enemy, overcome in your faith, and have peace. Now, another book I want to recommend to you and sort of talk about is this book by a doctor, Dr. Caroline Leaf. It's called Switch on Your Brain, The Key to Peak Happiness, Thinking, and Health. Because we're talking about what we think affects our body and emotional state. And she's a scientist, and it's, it's really a terrible book. It's like 250 pages of a lot of stuff I don't know understand. She has charts and words that you have to look up. And she's like doing the, the medical science of what the Bible says. But it's actually really cool. Let me read some to you. This book talks about how when we think about what we think about truly affects our physical and emotional state. And how in today's world and culture, it's undergoing the, the epidemic, she says, of toxic thoughts that left unchecked create ideal conditions for illness. She actually correlates the way that you think can bring stress and physical pain to your body. And here is all the medical terms. Half of them I don't know how to pronounce. But hey, let's butcher it together. <laughs> Dr. Carol Lee says this. Our brain is neuroplastic. Uh, it could be changed and regrow. Neuroplasticity. Uh, if you Google mental maps or mind maps, you may understand this, or it's the language of scientists nowadays. She says the brain responds uh, to your mind by sending neurological signals throughout the body. You have a mind. We're talking about spiritual warfare in the mind, and it has signals, and it responds to your body, which means your thoughts and emotions, she says, are transformed into physiological and spiritual effects. And then physical, physical, uh, physiological experiences transform into mental and emotional states. It is a profound and eye-opening thought, she says, to realize something seemingly immaterial, like a belief, can take on a physical existence as a positive or negative change in ourselves. And then she gives a whole bunch of science of how this actually takes place. But this is what Paul is saying as he describes our thought life and how it matters. How we have to choose what we think for the better or for the worse, and when we think something, it actually produces a result in our body, so much so she would say it changes your DNA to the fourth generation. 
Now, Paul says this in verse 8. Finally, brothers, when it comes to your prayer, this is not just wishful thinking. You're trusting God. You're submitting to his will. And then you say, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, is lovely, is commendable, if is there any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. It's interesting that he doesn't say just think on scripture. He says it's so powerful in the way that you think and how you think. You just think about anything good. Like you don't even like just think, if you like rainbows then double rainbow man just think about it. You love food great, Thanksgiving good memories, just think positively, commendable, honorable, worthy, because God is a giver of all good gifts, and it's by his grace. And so if you celebrate his grace in your life, there will be a positive effect for your life. But it's not just your thoughts and thinking something that makes it to come into existence. He says you have to act on those thoughts. Jesus said you're blessed when you apply those words. So you can't just be thinking and positive thinking just and speaking is just going to come to existence. No, 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 no. We have to claim the promises of God, think about God's word, who he is, and have it affect our body to live then for God himself. So what you have learned, verse 9, he says, right? We learned some things. We received things from the Spirit and received and have heard Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and seeing in me, he was an example of this faith. Practice these things. Apply them to your life. Allow your thought life to affect your real life. And the peace of God will be with you. You'll have some fruit. And as we think and apply God's truth in our lives, we are practically met with peace from his presence. Again, Dr. Leaf says this, it's your attitude, not your DNA, that determines much of the quality of your life. You have an extraordinary ability to determine, achieve, and maintain optical levels of intelligence, mental health, peace, and happiness, as well as the prevention of disease in your body and mind. You can, through conscious effort, gain control of your thoughts and feelings. We need to hear this in a world of we just, oh, my heart says this and I can't control it. And blah. No, control your feelings, control your thought life, engage in spiritual warfare, take what God has said and apply it to your life. She says, in doing so, you can change the programming and the chemistry of your brain. Mental mapping. Science, she says, is finally catching up with what the Bible, with the Bible, showing us the proof that God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power, of love, and of a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. And this is all about applying God's word to your life so you would have peace. You need to have security in what God has said, and when you live for him and apply it to your life, you'll see that God will meet you with peace and it will give you joy. And so Paul goes on now in verse 10 through 13 and tells us that God gives us not only this peace, but he gives power to apply what what he said. We need to apply his truth to our lives to be secure, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. In verse 10 through 13, he says, I rejoice in the Lord. Again, this is the choice. He was in prison. He was rejoicing in the Lord. He was standing firm. Greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
Remember, they loved him. They were concerned for him. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know now, uh, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. I can do all things through him. Speaking of Jesus Christ, who strengthens me. And so this next section, Paul was glad that they were concerned for him. Remember, he had been in prison. He was been in need, but he wanted them to know that he had a power from God and wanted them to learn the same secret. So whether they abound or whether they were brought low, they can have this godly secret of contentment in the Lord. And verse 13, he shares, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now notice the context of this verse because oftentimes this context gets overplayed, out of whack. I can just do anything and all, all Christ Jesus who strengthens me. God can strengthen us with joy in hard situations, even when we're in hunger and need. This is the context what he's saying because he was hungry and he was in need. He had times of ministry where he was brought high and had a lot of stuff. But he says, I thank you that you saw my opportunity. You saw that I was hurt. You saw that I was broken. You loved me. And I got received that love as of Christ, and you nurtured me and blessed me. Oftentimes, this, book quote, this verse gets quoted to apply whatever our goal is. To be great, to achieve our goal. I could do it in Christ. God fills us, though, with his spirit and strength to accomplish his purpose and his plans. Not just for our purpose and our plans. And oftentimes, we misquote this verse, don't get what we want, and think God is not true to his word. But God will give us strength to do anything and everything for him and his purpose and his plan through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why we receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit came upon Pentecost, Jesus told his disciples, but you will receive power with the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God fills us with his strength or with his power to continue to stand firm and fight the good fight of faith, to live for him. God does not fill us with his spirit and give us miraculous miracles to just do whatever we want and make a lot of money and just be happy. It's to fulfill his will, his plans, his purpose. And he said to the disciples, I want you to be witnesses. There's the command. So I'll give you some power. I want you guys all to have peace so you can do everything in me. I'll give you the strength to have the peace. In Philippians 1.6, he says, I am sure of this, that he, speaking of God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God gives us strength to persevere or to continue to apply the gospel to our lives and the word of God in our lives. Why? Because God is a good God and he provides for his children through the Holy Spirit to apply his word and be transformed. So when we say we can do all things in Christ Jesus, we're saying we can do all things in Christ Jesus. What does Christ want? What does his will and word say for our lives? This is the, one of the reasons we have power and strength through the Holy Spirit. Not just so we can do whatever we want, so we can do it in Christ Jesus. Whatever he says in his name, according to his name. Jesus, when he was going to the Father and going to the cross, he knew he was going to die and rise again. He said in John chapter 14, verse 26 and 27, But the helper, Pericalia, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Holy Spirit is a secure of our peace. He's a sealer of our salvation. We know that we will rise again because we have the Holy Spirit in us. It strengthens us to continue to persevere or to stand fast with a secure mind, trusting in God, even against opposition, not just to do whatever we want. Make sense? We have to understand this. Paul wants us to know that we can have the power of God to live according to God's will and live in the peace of God. And Paul chooses closes in verse 14 through 23 and tells us that our God, he is a provider. So he'll give you peace, he'll give you power, and he'll provide for all of your needs as you endure, stand fast, and live for him, giving glory to him in a single mind, submitting to other people, living and having a spiritual mind. You'll actually be met by a God and secure because our God is a God that provides. There's a God of provision. In verses 14 through 23, Yet, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. I didn't need this, but you provided this great need for me, and it was very kind. It expressed a love, and I'm very grateful for you. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. These Philippian church, they, they joined in partnership with the gospel and with Paul by giving him funds. And you remember they sent Epaphroditus to him with this funds to be able to minister the gospel. And he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again, once and again. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift. I'm not living for money, the things of the world. He says, but I do seek the fruit that increases to your account. But I do want you to apply God's word to your life and to be generous and to give. And it is good and beneficial for you. In verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's a picture of they were giving to Paul, but it was unto worship unto the Lord. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply for you as you gave. He will give to you and supply your need. Seek first the kingdom of God and all your needs will be provided in him. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever, amen. Because this is how he works. He receives, receives the glory in this system of giving and providing and provision. So he finishes with the closing. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of... Uh, Caesar's household, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's a large section, but let's break it down to close. Paul closes out this letter by thanking this church for their generosity. As they had set Epaphroditus with a financial gift for him in his ministry, Paul would say in verse 14, it was kind of you to share in my trouble, to think about me, to love me in this way. They entered into a partnership with Paul by providing funds when others didn't. That'd be a bummer to be in Macedonia or the church of Thessalonica. I mean, we have First and Second Thessalonians, right? They were real people. They didn't enter in. There were people that actually 
had the opportunity and the choice. Remember, choosing is an important part of your faith. You can trust God, and according to your faith, it will be done. And these people were trusting God with their finances and providing and loving on Paul because they cared for him. He had planted the gospel, started a church. And so Paul had some real needs and they loved him in this way by helping him and giving real finances to supply for his needs. And he wanted them to know that, man, God had provided for his needs through their love. It was very practical, very heartfelt. And we must not forget this principle that God provides and loves people through us his people. God wants us to be generous and to love people with our words and with our deeds and even our finances and our offerings to be able to minister and to care for people in need. 1 John 3, 16 and 18 says this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, beloved, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Sometimes the most loving and encouraging thing we can do is give finances. Cash is king. Christmas is coming up, people. Sometimes, you know, especially as you're older, you should give, give your kids just cash. Just let them buy what they need. It's important sometimes to actually talk about this, that we need as God's people to be generous with our life, with our words, but also with our money. And Paul encouraged us in this spiritual practice by giving to God's house generously, by those that labor in the gospel, and to those that are in need, like the poor. The Bible talks a lot about how believers were to take care of the poor and help widows and people in need. And we do this unto the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse uh, 7 says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, and in speech, and in knowledge, and in earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And this act of grace is called giving. This is the context. The Bible says it's actually a gift of grace that we are able to give to other people because God is the best, most generous person. And as we receive his grace, we give grace to other people, give mercy, and express his love through our giving. Paul wants us to be a generous people, why? He says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift. He's, he's not a, a, um, a hireling. He loves them. He loved them free. He would even labor for churches. But he says, I seek the fruit that increases to your account. Or some translations say the profit that occurs to your account. Paul wants us to be generous and this church to be generous because it is for our good and it brings joy into our lives. To not linger in and live for idolatry of money and possessions, but to express God's love through a material thing here on earth. To store our treasures up in heaven and not on earth. Paul wants us to be generous. Remember, he would told the church and the elders in uh, Ephesus, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul says, God will credit our account with fruit, both here and now and in heaven as we give unto the Lord. I have a good friend who's a pastor, Ron Jones. He's always telling me, God gets all the glory, but you get the credit. God gets all the glory when you give, but you get some credit in your account. We're storing treasures up in heaven and we sow seeds. When we sow seeds of generosity, we will reap a generous harvest from the Lord and this is good for us and gives us eternal joy. 
Paul would go on in the later chapter, chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians, talking about excelling and giving. He would say in verse 6 and 8, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, meaning there's going to be no pressure. This is why one of the reasons we don't pass a plate to make you feel pressured, but we do talk about giving because we want the best for you. For God loves a cheerful giver, one that responds to grace, one that gives. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It is a good work for you to give finances. Living a generous life brings joy in your life and God will prove himself to you and provide for you. And you see the the starch contrast of America, who is so rich, lives for ourselves, but has a lack of joy, don't you? You ever go on a mission trip or a third world country, and you see people that hardly have anything, and they're full of joy, full of the joy of the Lord, and laughter, and living for other people, and God fills their hearts with joy. But we as Americans struggle with this, being the God of mammon and possessions, and don't feel uncomfortable talking about money, because it is clinging to our hearts. And we need to repent of this and be generous and give to those in need and are in poor. And man, verse 19, Paul says, you can trust God in your money. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes we worry and get stressed out because we're trying to hoard money to get security. But Paul says the way you have a secure mind or a secure life is just give money away. You'll get some joy from it. God will provide for all of our needs. Maybe not all our wants. You don't give a dollar and you're gonna get a dollar back. Sometimes it's good for you to say, I'm sacrificing and I'm giving this and I'm helping people out. And the blessing is actually joy of the Lord, fruit, like expressing love. That's greater than money. You guys know this as parents going up with Christmas. You want to give your kids gifts to express your love, and we can express love through giving finances. And this is totally a cheesy saying, but hey, I think it may be true. You can't outgive God. I mean, I'm not saying it's scripture. I'm just saying it's an important part in the principle of the Lord. You can't outgive God. As you are generous and as you tithe, which tithe is the way that you honor God with the first fruits, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 talks about how you honor the Lord and you trust God and you say, I'm not living for money, I'm living for you. So I wanna give you everything that you give to me. And as you give tithes, as you give offerings, whether it be to the church, but then also just in general, being showing hospitality and, and giving forth gifts and finances, as you're generous, God will provide for your needs. And in scripture, Malachi chapter three, verse eight through 10, God tells us that we can actually test him in this area. This is like one thing where he's like, okay, I know you're gonna have a hard time dealing with it because you're gonna have this stress, but I wanna give you peace. So give your money away and I'll provide the peace and joy. Trust me, just, just trust me. And you know, as a pastor, I've heard so many testimonies how God has provided for people as they have started just tithing, giving God 10% of their income first, tithing. I have no problem teaching about tithing, teaching about giving a tenth of your income and more and beyond because as your pastor, I want the best for you. I want you to live generously. I'm not making appeal. It's not on our account. It's to your account. You need to be generous. Even if the money doesn't go to us as a church, you need to give unto the Lord. 
This is an important part of worship, and Paul wants them to know this, and he says God is a God of provision. He will provide for you as you live for him because by the power of the Holy Spirit, you could be strengthened to give, and then you will have peace and you will have joy. And we want you to grow in your generosity. God receives the glory, but you receive the credit. It goes to your account. As you live for God with your finances, it's a beautiful thing. And Paul says, listen, my God will provide all your needs. It goes to your account. You're a partner in the gospel. If you want to have some joy, don't live for money. Live for God. Give it away. And as you gave it to me, it was expression of love. Man, my heart was filled with joy, but I hope now God provides for all of your needs and fills your heart with joy as well. And so Paul closes out this book by showing us the benefits of living for God with a single mind of submitting to other people and living for people or loving people with a submissive mind and being spiritual. Finally, in chapter four, he says, so have a secure mind. Be secure in God's peace for you. The power that he will give you through the power of the Holy Spirit and then give your life away. Finances, words, deeds, just give it all. It's better to give than to receive. And you're doing that. So stand firm, stand fast in these things. The one that receives joy from the Lord by standing firm is one who gives. He's the one who gives peace. He's the one that trusts that God gives power and the one that trusts that God provides. And so Paul closes out by saying in verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Doesn't even say like, I hope that God blesses you financially or that you have health or that you're comfortable What's the greatest gift that God can give us? A redeemed spirit. The blessings of the spirit of God to our spirit. We were once dead and now we're alive in him. And as we close out this series, let us not forget that it is through the grace of God that we're able to have joy. There's been a lot of conviction, a lot of things of saying, mind, 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 and we need to have faith. But don't forget that even faith is a gift from God. So he says, just, just rely on the grace. Even if you're just stingy, even if you have a bad attitude, just rely on grace. So may the grace of God touch your spirit so that way your spirit, your heart, your internal self will be transformed by the renewing of your mind and you'll grow and mature in the way that you think and then you'll have blessings to bless your spirit and your life. It's by God's grace that he saves us, that he speaks to us through his spirit and his word. So it should be by God's grace that we engage in the spiritual warfare that we're in staying steadfast and remaining in the Lord for our strength, for our joy, never forgetting the gospel and how this is good news in Jesus. So with that, let's close in communion. Let's remember God's grace for once and again and continue to look to Jesus. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.